Amen. Hey guys, I'm so happy to have four minutes of fellowship back. That was so fun. I'm also the person who's like, um, can we just not do that? But I always walk away feeling better that I did, so I'm glad that we got to do that uh, tonight. So I'm going to start us off with a question, and that question is, have you ever been disoriented before? Lost. Yeah, she's like, yep. Confused? So this past summer, my son Mickey, he just turned seven, and he was obsessed with the bumper cars. And so we rode this ride over and over again. And the last round of bumper cars, I'm riding with Mickey, who was also driving, and so I didn't really have a place to, like, really brace myself. There wasn't really, like, I couldn't, like, hold the steering wheel. And so it was kind of like you know, just rolling with it. And all of a sudden, we were hit from behind by my husband, just drilled us, and my head just slams back and hits the not-so-soft, like, hard plastic headrest. And my head went something like this. I love the end of that. So good. It's like Looney Tunes, right? Like, just like, boom, disoriented. I did not know exactly where I was. My head was spinning, lights flashed, and it was kind of like, you know, the surroundings are just like moving, and then I'm starting to ask myself, where am I? What just happened? Why on earth did I agree to ride the bumper cars yet again? Right? Disorientation. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place we suddenly don't recognize. We've been hit so hard by a bumper car or by life's sudden surprises, and we lose our sense of direction. We can be confused. The things that we thought made sense, the things that we believe to be true about life, aren't making so much sense anymore. All of us are guaranteed in this life to find ourselves in a season of disorientation where we no longer know what's up and what's down. And we're forced to confront some big questions about our place in the world, about who God is, about who we are, where we're going, or maybe where we've been. And sometimes we're asking if God really even is. So this is our second week in our series, God is in the Mystery. And my hope for tonight is to communicate that when these mysteries happen to us, when our expectations don't match our reality, when things don't make sense or we find ourselves lost, not to run away so quickly, but to engage with the disorientation, to engage with the mystery. And by doing that, I believe that we will find out and uncover more of who God is in our lives. So we're going to talk about two people, two people that are found in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Both of these people have a mysterious conversation with Jesus and experience disorientation. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles if you want to join with me. We'll be in chapter 3. I'm going to more or less really tell the story, though, and then highlight some parts. So I won't follow exactly. Um, But there will be some slides up there. So first, Nicodemus is first on the scene. And Nicodemus is a man. Nicodemus is a Jew. 
and also a Pharisee, which means that he is a religious elite. He's well-educated. He's a close follower of the law. He's the guy that's kind of like the cream of the crop. He's the D1 athlete, right? He's like arrived. His resume would go straight to the top. And so Nicodemus is living right by faith standards. He's properly oriented, and he has his beliefs sorted out and organized just so until he gets smacked on the head. Oh, did you hear it? That was good. It's kind of a little disorienting, right? Woo! So Nicodemus is hit on the head, if you will, by a new guy named Jesus. So at this point in the Gospels, Jesus has performed some miracles, which proves that he is supernatural, and he's begun to make proclamations that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And the Jews have been waiting for a Messiah. And this Messiah comes claiming there is eternal life. And so Nicodemus is the religious elite. He's the one we expect to recognize Jesus as Messiah. But Nicodemus really isn't so sure that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's starting to wonder if he no longer has his faith sorted out, if he has some questions yet answered, right? He's confused, he's disoriented. And so what does Nicodemus do? Nicodemus seeks Jesus out. He goes to Jesus in the middle of the night, which Nicodemus gets a terrible rap for by Bible scholars. They criticize him for going to Jesus in the, like in the darkness of the night, as if he's trying to hide from others. But I kind of wonder, since we don't know the inflection of his voice, right, because we're reading it, or the exact details of what was happening hour by hour for him that day, perhaps Nicodemus is so disoriented that he just can't sleep. And I think we can all relate to what that might be like. I think we all know what it's like to be restless over big questions or big mysteries in our lives, to lose sleep when things just don't seem right. So Nicodemus finds Jesus in the middle of the night and says, I know your teacher, and you must be from God because of these miracles. But who are you? And how do I receive this eternal life you talk about? And Jesus responds to Nicodemus, and he says, I am teacher. I am miracle worker. If you want to have eternal life, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says this. He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I love that. Actually feels like quite clever, a very valid question to ask. This is a mysterious idea. How really is one born again if they've already been born once before? It sounds like Nicodemus is wrestling with this mystery, asking how can this be? And so in the next verse, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. 
You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus, still feeling lost, asks yet again, how can this be? Nicodemus asks his questions. He very pointedly asks Jesus his questions. And remember, this guy is the religious elite. He knows this stuff forwards and backwards. People come to Nicodemus with their questions. But all of a sudden, Jesus is disorienting him. The things he once thought were true or who he expected the Messiah to be doesn't seem to line up with what he thought. Things are starting to shift. How can this be? So maybe you're here tonight and you're asking the same question. How, God, is it that you are Messiah? How, God, am I even here? And I want to say this, welcome, welcome, ask away. It's a really good question to wonder who Jesus is and how he is the Messiah. And so I hope that you ask it. So the next person that we come across is the woman at the well. Now this is one of the most iconic passages of scripture and partly because Jesus does something very unexpected. And the unexpected is that he talks to A, a woman, and B, a woman from Samaria, who we later learn is an adulteress. So this gal doesn't even have a resume. She's uneducated, she's the lowest of lows, and despite all of this, Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And he asks the woman for a drink as she comes bucket in hand to draw water from a well. So Jesus talks to the woman, he asks her for a drink of water, and immediately a conversation ensues. And it sounds like the woman at the well is a little bit perplexed. I wonder if internally she wasn't asking this, has this Jewish man been hit upside the head? You can laugh, it's good, it's funny. Right, is he confused? Does he know who I am? Can he see that I am female? Right, why is this guy talking to me? So the Samaritan woman said to him, who is Jesus, she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus responds to her. He says, woman, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. Which kind of sounds a little bit cocky now that I say it out loud. So I love this next part because the woman very candidly points out to Jesus. She's like, "Uh, sir, you don't have anything to draw with. He didn't have a bucket. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? The woman is skeptical, confused, doubtful, yet she remains curious because she continues to engage and ask questions of Jesus. How would you give me a drink with no bucket? And furthermore, where is this living water? that you talk about, and who are you? 
So the two characters, the two people, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, are opposites. Their resumes have nothing in common. But what they do have in common is how they both responded to disorientation. When their categories and neatly arranged worlds have been disturbed and disoriented, they both lean in with curiosity and a healthy tablespoon of doubt. They ask, how can this be? How is Jesus Messiah? What is living water? And what is this born-again business? So who in here knows what a sifter is? Wow, that's quite a few of you. That's pretty fun. I brought a picture. I don't bake, and this is something that you use when you bake. So I don't own one of these because baking quite literally makes me disoriented. I just feel like there's too many ingredients, too many steps, and too much mess. So I don't have one of these, but I learned about it. So here's how it works. You pour the flour in the top, and you squeeze the handle, and it sifts the flour. The flour stays flour, but it becomes finer. It's refined. And the reason you do this is you end up with tastier bread and buns. So my favorite part of this analogy is the flour. The flour goes through a transformation, yet it still comes out flour. Nicodemus and the woman at the well are the flour. They go through a transformation. Jesus is the sifter. Jesus loves to sift us, to refine us, to transform us. And this process is usually, and most often, disorienting and mysterious. We can't control what mysteries of life we will face. We simply just know that they will come And we never know whether we will stumble to Jesus in the middle of the night or when we're looking for a drink of water. But what we can do is be intentional with how we respond to mystery and disorientation when it happens in our lives. So when I was younger, I was just a wee bit like Nicodemus. I had faith sorted out just so I did the right things, I said the right things, I had a highlighted Bible, my friends came to me for questions about faith in Jesus. I had a reputation as the church girl. So then I went to this place called You and I. I don't know if any of you have been there before. But just as I was going to You and I, about the same time my mom was diagnosed with melanoma. And all I, wanted to be, all I wanted to do was be at home with my mom. Yet also, I had to grow up. And I had to launch into the world, no matter what the future held for my family. While at you and I, I felt lost. I felt so small. I felt like a number as I was from a small high school. I was confused about what to study. I had no dreams of what to do beyond college. And I became really unsure and insecure. And I was disoriented. I didn't know. I thought about transferring. I just didn't know if I was going forward or if I was going backward. 
And of course, as I've gotten older, I've experienced many more seasons of disorientation where I've had to confront what I believe to be true about myself and God and where both of those fit in my life. So here's a few tools that I learned while I was in college when I was disorienting, when I was disoriented. And these are the tools that I have kept a hold of in my life today. These are still the things that I rely on to reorient myself when I feel lost. So number one, my husband thinks this response is boring, but it's just true, so I'm going to share it, is that I read. I, I've read ever since I was a little girl, and I read anything that I could get my hands on that was about spirituality and Jesus. I read about Jesus, about people who followed Jesus, about people who led churches, and I participated in all the Bible studies. And then I ended up being a religion major, so I just read a whole ton. And so quick caution about reading just anything, really, is that it can be a slippery slope. So a good place to start is to ask yourself, who do I look up to? And what are they reading or what books have transformed how they see Jesus and how they have influenced who they have become in who they have become as adults or who they become in their faith. And so I would start there. A lot of wrestling with life's big mysteries is hard, reflective work that you simply just have to do. And it takes a little bit of time. But exciting for you guys, you guys have been placed uniquely in an incredible time of technology to have access to podcasts, and they're free. You don't even have to read. You can listen. So I'd encourage you to find some books or some podcasts that spark your curiosity. If it's boring, move on, right? Like, find something that really gets you excited that really makes you curious and wants you to get deeper and deeper in. So being curious is key to sifting through a mystery. If you are curious, God will teach you a whole lot. And the second is talk to someone. This was really hard for me to do initially because remember, I was Nicodemus. I wasn't about to admit to anyone or really even admit to myself that I was unsure, that I was insecure that I wasn't sure of things in my faith anymore. I had so neatly arranged my life and what I believed until I was disoriented. And then I wasn't really sure. So eventually, all this reading that I did didn't suffice, partly because it was just like locked up here in my head. And it wasn't really engaged with what was going on in my heart. And so I needed some help from community. And the first time I really talked about what I was thinking and didn't have any fear that I could be completely wrong or that my ideas were stupid or silly, the first time I wasn't afraid to name them was right here in the community called BASIC. I sat with Carla Chestnut. She was my BASIC staff person. And in Panera, we had a conversation that sifted me. I was the flower and Carla was the sifter, and I came out transformed. Carla helped me learn that I could be insecure about my place in this world, and in the same breath, I could be powerful, and I could be brave and smart 
and capable and still wonderfully me. And then, sort of by chance, I stumbled upon counseling when I was required to take a counseling, an introductory counseling class. And this class deeply impacted my understanding of what counseling actually is and what it does. Counseling helps you hear yourself. It helps you see what you are thinking and name your emotions. It gives you space to just think and to be, and it's safe. There's no judgment. And so after that class, I participated in any free counseling that I could get my hands on. It was radically impactful for me and for my life of faith. Counseling helps me not ask why. Why did my mom have melanoma? Why didn't I like college? Why do I suddenly feel so small? Counseling helps me ask not why, but to ask how. How can I face illness? How can I face the unknown future? How can I like college? How is it that I feel small? And because you guys are students, you have access to free counseling. In fact, there is a resource that's happening right now, and it's called Let's Talk. I'm pretty sure it's brand new. It's a new thing that you and I is doing. Um, it is on campus, and the great thing is you don't need insurance. You don't need any money. You don't need an appointment. There are no prerequisites. You can just go, and this is a tool for you. My friend Chris is one of the counselors there, and she's also on staff here at Orchard. And so she has a unique perspective on faith and counseling, and she's someone that I regularly call and wrestle with about big questions. And so utilize this. This is an incredible tool right at your fingertips. I'm also here. And the whole basic staff team is here for you. You don't have to do anything alone. And also, we are not trying to come at you as if you are disoriented and you have something that we need to solve, right? We're just here to create space, to get to know each other and learn about Jesus. Also, if you haven't joined a life group, mine is looking to grow a little bit, and it's at 2 o'clock on Tuesdays on campus. Currently, right now, online, it says just freshmen, but we are open to all ages of women in our group. So now that you know who I am, maybe it will be less scary, come join our group. So I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And as they make their way to their places, I'm going to give you a little summary because I love, I love summaries. And so life is going to hit you really hard sometimes. It's just going to happen. The mysteries of life the things that don't make sense can be disorienting, and following Jesus can be disorienting. But we can be intentional with how we engage the disorientation that comes into our lives. And so be curious, ask questions, learn, read, listen to podcasts, talk to someone. And remember... For unto us a child is born, to us a son has been given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.